Hello and welcome to Business Without My name's Dominic Frisby and Ori Clark is a firm that specialises in, in both law and accountancy and one of its partners, Andrew Ori, my co-host, realised that the firm had so many interesting clients doing so many wonderful things and he decided he wanted to share these stories with a wider audience and, and the means to do that is this podcast. And in our last show, we had the pleasure of speaking to Con Constantopoulos, who is director of four companies and a big science advocate. And we spoke to him in great length about a range of topics, which we just couldn't fit all into one episode. So to make sure you don't miss out, we decided to split the conversation into two parts. And it brings me great pleasure now to introduce part two of our illuminated chat with Con Constantopoulos. Your passion underlying it, as I understand it, is to help niche markets. And I mean, we had um, a lovely lady, Gabrielle, I work with, who's who's passionate about, um, she's from the Caribbean, and she's passionate about helping niche markets like the Caribbean get proper access to money. You know, a different problem, you know, that it's, it's very expensive when you live in a tiny little banana republic to access money. Is that something that drives you in terms of access to drugs, is it, or...? It's 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 the fact that there are people out there trying to access drugs to supply for a clinical trial, and they're just not able to do it by the traditional means. So it's difficult for them. They will pick up the phone and speak to their pharmaceutical wholesaler or speak to their hospital, and because they're not supplying drugs for a standard procedure or the normal process, they hit brick walls. You know, so that's what I love doing. I love working in that niche market, understanding how the system works, to then turn around to someone that's looking to access product for clinical trials to say, well, okay, I know what you're trying to do um, and provided that you're um, running a bona fide clinical trial, I will assist you and I'll help you get what you need and what you're qualified to supply. Put it this way, if you're trying to access a particular drug in Australia, from a pharmaceutical wholesaler and you're someone running a clinical trial or you're someone just simply running analytical tests on the drug before it even goes into humans and you'll turn around to that pharmaceutical wholesaler and say, I need this drug and I need 50 units of this drug in three different batches, okay, because my scientific protocol says that I must test three different batches to determine whatever I need to determine. That person um, sitting in the pharmaceutical wholesale will say, well, sorry, are you, are you a hospital? Are you, are you looking to purchase 50 units, 150 units? What do you mean batches? For them, it's just about bulk supply. Get it to the hospital, get it to the patient. So for us, it's been understanding what the person needs and then to be able to translate that in a language that the pharmaceutical wholesaler will understand to then be able to supply them with what they need. I think this is just all small business is just so, it's so nice small business in a way, isn't it? You know, to help each well, other. When we started this podcast, you spoke about Big Pharma, you know. So Big Pharma's set up to treat the masses, you know, but clinical trials operate on, on the outskirts. It operates as if there are people doing things up and accessing drugs and um, that are outside of the normal supply. And, um, and there must be a restriction because clinical trials, from a scientific point of view, you know, double-blind clinical trials, blah, 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 you know, if you haven't got that, you've got nothing to a scientist. You know, any data which is not a double-blind study, you know, the gold standard and being peer-reviewed, is nothing. So if you're telling me that it's hard for a niche operator 
to access these things, to do these tests, to get these results, to prove their point, then there is there is an effective uh, what's the word lubrication issue or fluid issue within the market for the dialogue for the the, the 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 conversation to move forward. You know, for someone to say, well, you know, we think this over here. You know, so so your role is actually very important to be able to bring these different niche arguments in. I guess. Uh, yes, and the people inside of Big Pharma, um, the senior managers, understand it. Uh, because Big Pharma themselves run clinical trials and they understand what it means. But, you know, you, you need to be speaking to the right people for them to then approve supply of, your, of the product to go to these different regions because they might say, we're only approved to supply in Australia. However, Con, you're supplying a clinical trial that's approved and I understand that this clinical trial is to go to a number of Asia-Pacific countries or throughout Europe. I would normally not approve supply of Australian product to any other market. However, for this clinical trial, because I understand what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve, I will approve your supply. You know, so it's yeah. about us talking to the right people. Yeah, right. You, um, I mean, uh, as someone who's, you know, uh, I guess pro it, having a lot of epileptic and ADHD friends, but uh, the world of medical marijuana and it's, um, and it's sort of, God, it's blooming really, or it's, you know, exploding. Yeah. They're talking this week about the footsies, you know, finally going to be listing some of these companies. Is that an area that you see or get involved in? Because I know Australia is a big leader in this. Yeah, the, it is. It's just, We haven't adopted it. We, we haven't just jumped on board. Um, we're not one of the early adapters, but it, it is a growing market. And we are, with one of our businesses, we're involved in a pharmacy and naturally, you know, you have patients that need the, the medical uh, marijuana. So we, we do what we can to facilitate the supply. But there are so many companies that have gone on board. So it's just about trying to sift through who are the, the actual companies that are manufacturing quality product to the right standard. That's what there's so much of, as you say, because that's what I've understood from the market. And um, Brian Warrington, who we work with, is a very clever man, if you look him up. But, you know, he explained this a lot to me about how, you know, maybe Big Pharma gets criticism and, you know, but um, how difficult it is, particularly because you're growing something. So it's not a it's not a man-made drug. You've got to make this thing grow in the same way. But still, you know what? You need to make sure that that marijuana you're growing or that cannabis oil that you're producing is composed of the right stuff. It's got the right levels of what it needs to it needs to perform in a certain way. So that's why you need to be dealing with reputable companies that operate to certain good manufacturing processes. So there are companies um, you know, that, that we deal with here in Australia that, that do analytical services. There's one company in particular, it's called Pharmalytics, and they're, you know, they're, they're specialised in testing marijuana products. Um, because of this, you know, so those type of products have got a, uh, a real need and it really helps um, certain people, but you need to make sure that you're getting the right product, you know, that it's not just um, a particular brand out of Amsterdam, you know, for example, it's got, a, it's got some kind of cool name. It's, it's, I think we're beyond that. It needs to have some kind of validation as to what is in the product that you're taking. Like any other pharmaceutical product or over-the-counter product, you need to know what you're ingesting. 
I, it, it's a bit like when you talk about the vaccine thing. It's like, because uh, my wife's a doctor and, um, you know, we do talk about this stuff a lot and she does get very frustrated with the anti-vaxxer movement and some friends had forwarded me some videos the other day which I sent her and she went off and did all the research and there's this guy who's like, he's just like a charlatan but he's going around. But it, it, it's the point that, Yes, if you use any drug or a vaccine, there is going to be a percentage of the population who are going to have problems. And there have been a couple of cock-ups. I know there was one in Israel because I worked with some Israeli companies who, although they're vaccinating very quickly, they had a terrible issue with the polio vaccine or something that wasn't... And actually, it's not the vaccine. It was manufactured badly. So it's not just about clinical trials. You know, the manufacturer messes it up and there's lead in it or whatever. And the thing is, is that, you know, it's that argument, isn't it? There will be a small slice of population who will be affected. So people... People say, oh, well, you know, you look at these situations over here and they put up a website. And that's the, that's now the modern problem of sort of self-publicization that you can have people putting up websites saying, oh, look, I, you know, my daughter died or something awful happened. It's like, yeah, that shit will happen. But all these yeah. other people are good. And what's weird in society now is we will not accept death. So part of our problem as a society, and that's, you could argue what's going on with COVID, some would, my old man mm. would, is that we've become so afraid of death, you know, it's not okay for anyone to die ever, that therefore you have a problem with the things that save lives, because some things that save lives, well, all the things that will save lives pharmaceutically, it'll hurt some people. And so, you you know, people say, oh, well, just, you know, therefore you've got to eat whole grains and that's the solution. And it's like, it's not the fucking solution. You know, drugs to save the world, you know. It's, it's, it truly is. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is no one wants to hurt an individual. However, what will be the outcome if you do nothing? You know, so, so for, for example, you, you, you might be putting out a, an oncology drug to treat cancer and, and there will be a percentage of the population that it treats that it will have a harmful effect to. But what about the, the ones that it actually improves their lives? It's, it's a very tricky environment to work with and I, I'm not involved in, like I said, I don't design the drugs, I don't, I don't, I'm not the one designing the clinical trials. Um, but the, but these are all issues that they have to deal with. But what's the price you pay for doing nothing? You know, so you can talk all day about these anti-vaxxers or the, the bad effects of taking a vaccine or not, but what if you don't? And that information is not useful because the problem is even a rational person, when they're presented with uh, some YouTube videos and stuff, uh, some terrible story, you know, then they're like, well, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I won't. And it's like, we don't need that information. Like, I mean, it's a really interesting conversation with a wife because nowadays everyone comes in with their Google diagnosis and she says it's a double-edged sword. He says it is helpful to some extent. It's a fucking pain in the ass on another it, level. It, it absolutely is helpful because the more informed people are, the better the outcome will be. But, you know, when, when you look at the way drugs are developed, I mean, you've got, you've got very intelligent scientists and doctors out there developing treatments and drugs out there. And, and then you have people against it that are doing their research on their iPhone. Yeah. You know, so who would you rather be listening to? I know who I would be. I would be the one, the person, the doctor, the scientist that has dedicated their lives to um, uh, developing this treatment and, and, and pharmaceutical. I'll be listening to them versus someone who's been just scouring the internet and looking at um, what's in their feed on, on their iPhone. It's just a, that, that, that's the way I see it. I think the point is, Stephen Fry made this point years ago. He did um, a Room 101, I always remember, because he can be incredibly intelligent and eloquent about science and about the fact that just because we don't know everything 
doesn't mean we know nothing, you know? It's like the science, the whole point of science is to be skeptical, you know, and only what we can prove we hang on to. And it's like we know a tiny amount, but it's enough, as he put at the time, for you to be seeing me on television right now, you know, for you, for you to not suffer from a myriad of diseases that plagued our nation. I mean, you look at infant mortality, and I think that's where our fear of death has come from, if you ask me. Infant mortality was so fucking normal. I mean, you know, I was, I was watching The Crown last night, and Prince Philip, you know, he's got his sister, and he had two other siblings who died in childbirth in the 30s and that's just that was just life now for people to die in childbirth it's you know it happens but it's a big fucking deal for their friends and them you know and and everyone knows losing a child is the toughest thing mentally that anyone can go through and that was commonplace so what the fuck did that do to people it must have toughened the shit out of them about what is life you know yeah but the, the difference is now something happens and everyone knows about it um, and that everyone yes. can, can span the whole country or world. And, yeah. and, and that's the thing, isn't it? Media just spreads that information around. Whereas when you're talking about the 1930s, how many people found out about it? It was a lot more contained. I mean, guys, a lot of the stuff that we spoke about now, I mean, it was only two nights ago we found, three nights ago we found out my wife's grandmother passed away from COVID in Lebanon. And we went to the house and... And, and there were people sitting around um, just grieving. And, yeah, there were individuals there that were just, like, going at it about the political side of it, you know. And it's just, it's, it's really saddening to just, to just see people's different views where we actually lost in that environment. We, we, we lost the fact that, you know, there were people grieving. And who gives a fuck about COVID or who gives a shit about anything? There's a woman that's died here, you know what I mean? So, we, so we're caught up in this bubble. Yeah, yeah, chat. Oh, yeah. And it's all about COVID and it's all about Trump and it's all about what and media and whatever. Look, who gives a fuck? This woman's died. You know, it's like, that's what it's about, you know. No, well said, mate. Well said. Science, A, it's protected by a simple thing that you really need to understand the subject. So the general public might like to get involved and half read and do something on YouTube. But from the scientist's point of view, they take one look at you, look at what you've studied and stuff and say, you have no idea what you're talking about. My friend Corin, who's very involved, very high up scientist, one of the cleverest people I know, I stopped being able to understand his job 20 years ago. I remember looking at some emails that had turned up on his desk and laughing because, you know, it's talking about just words and things you just have no comprehension of as a, as a layman. But also I would, I would echo Con's view that the determination of these people, they build their knowledge like a little Lego stack. Yeah, but Andy, what's, what's interesting is that sometimes in, in an argument or a discussion or a debate, that friend of yours that you're saying may be quiet, you know, may not participate in that. And then you've got all these other people that are offering their views, but this person here is just keeping quiet in, in this general discussion. But in reality, that person goes to work Monday to Friday and they're funded to do their work that's going to help progress their science and to come to an outcome. So they're actually doing something productive in that manner rather than just talking about it, you know, so... Yeah, and that scientific community I'm inferring is its own bubble. If you haven't spent 20 years studying this subject, you can't roll in and just say... Now, the interesting thing is it's a bit like the influence yeah. of science fiction is that free thinking is very important. People throwing out ideas. Science fiction has created a lot of our technological advancements, so scientists love creative people, people who just kind of say, yeah, but what if we flip it on its head and stick a 
pineapple on top and they're like, that's fucking crazy, but hang on a second, you know, there's a thought there. And so you shouldn't, you can't just say science on its own. If science is left to do its thing on its own, then in some ways it keeps sort of going down a furrow, you know, and you need some of the creative thinkers, but it seems to work best out of sci-fi is what I understand. You know, I have people sort of writing fiction you know, creating new concepts and ideas or occasionally. So I mean, you can't, you might even do it. I know you're a scientist originally, but, you know, you're, you're the sort of person who's got that sort of mind who might occasionally say, hey, guys, have you thought about this? And everyone's like, what is con? No. And then they're having tea later and they're like, no, we really should look at that. You know, we really should think about it. I'm more that type of person. So I landed in science um, just it was kind of like I heard it in that direction, you know. So, um, <laughs> and, and then afterwards, went more a commercial environment. So I enjoy dealing with scientists, but I can't do it myself. And I don't, I don't, I don't pretend to know or to understand exactly what they're talking about. But yeah, it takes everyone to. It takes politicians. It takes commercial people. It takes scientists to come together to say, okay, well, this is a problem. What's the solution? Um, and what can we do about it? It is a group effort. Great stuff. So that was part two of our chat with Con Constantopoulos. To find out more about Con and his businesses, you can find links to his company websites in the description. And we'll be back with another episode very soon. And make sure you subscribe to the show so you can join Andy Uri and me, Dominic Frisbee, for the next episode of Business Without B****.